This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. We just have to keep pushing forward and say yes only to the things that really are magnificent. Nia Long has been a star for decades, and she's been in all kinds of iconic stuff. She was Cuba Gooding Jr.'s girlfriend in Boys in the Hood, Will Smith's girlfriend on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, a gangster on Empire, a professor on Dear White People. She was in Friday, Love Jones, Soul Food, The Best Man. If there's a black Kevin Bacon, someone who's been in a movie or TV show with everyone, it might be Nia Long. She was close friends with the late John Singleton, so I really wanted to hear her talk about how she's doing after his shocking, untimely death. We start with that, and then we get into her acting career. It's Nia Long on Touré Show. How are you doing? You just went to John's funeral, like, a week ago. Uh, yeah, I honestly, like, I am so emotional right now. Like, it's just so many, um, big changes with my kids and then Sean passing and, you know, the thought of being a mother of a freshman college student who's going to be in Kentucky and... Congrats. You know, the journey to getting him there has been like a year because he plays baseball and going to all the schools and understanding the politics in college baseball and high school baseball and just managing a lot of things that are new. Um, Mm -hmm. And then John's passing just hit me really hard. So it's been Mm. a very—I spent the entire Mother's Day crying. (laughs) I was like, did I birth this life right now? What is going on? Mm. Do you have stories of him that you think about in this time? Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, um, I'm really excited because USC is giving him a big memorial next week. and. Um, I'm really looking forward to that because I think the more celebrating we do, the easier it is to heal or not easier, but it sort of helps the, it supports the process of healing. And I'll tell you how I got the information that, uh, John was not doing well. I was up really early, um, like 6 a.m. for some weird reason 
and I picked up my phone like we all do, and I got a text from Malcolm Lee, and the text said, John Singleton is in the hospital. He's not doing well. And I just looked at my phone, and I went into, like, panic mode because it wasn't enough information for me to do anything with. And I had no idea what hospital he was in. I had no idea what happened to him. I had no – I called his cell, and I, I remember sending a text, and I just said, John, it's Nia. I'm so worried about you. Where are you? And I didn't get a response. And then – I thought, okay, Malcolm, please, can you find out more information? And he was like, I'm on it. And then I just started crying probably for like an hour straight. And I was I was pacing my house. I was just a mess. And I'm going to cry right now talking about it. Um, but what hit me in that moment was, the fact that John Singleton was my beginning. Hmm. He was the guy that in a room full of probably 75 to 100 actors, the day that they, you know, had the auditions for Boys in the Hood, I remember walking into this room. It was in South Central L.A. And... I almost didn't go to the audition because, first of all, when you, as a black actor, when you get a script that's that's called Boys in the Hood, you're like, okay, what white guy is trying to tell a story about my life, <laughs> right? So I was like, this is the most bogus shit ever. The title alone was like, stop it. Because in my mind, a white guy wrote it that, hadn't, that knew nothing about my life. And then I read the script and I was blown away. Then I started trying to figure out who is John Singleton, and I called my agent, and she was like, listen, he's a new filmmaker from USC. He's, like, supposed to be the next big thing. I know you're getting over the flu, but you should go. And I had been in bed, like, two days before that, not feeling well. My hair wasn't done. I was like, you know, the first thing a woman thinks about when they have an audition is hair, makeup, and what am I going to wear, right? Right, right. And so I, the next morning, I really was on the fence, like, oh, I don't want to go. This, there's going to be a lot of people there. And I was new in my career, so I had no business even feeling that way. I needed whatever I could get at that point. And I remember throwing on a baseball cap, which is something I've never done. In the, I had never done in the past. And I went to the location and I walked in and I just saw all of these hopeful stars, you know, like wannabe stars in this room lined up waiting to meet John Singleton. And I found like a spot kind of in the corner away from everyone. And I just was looking at my sides, my script and studying my lines. And all of a sudden this guy approaches me and he gets like a little bit too close, you know, where someone's in your personal space. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and he goes, what's your name? And I said, <laughs> I kind of gave him that around the way Brooklyn slash South Central <laughs> girl look. <laughs> and I said, I'm Nia. Who are you? And he said, I'm John Singleton, the director. 
(laughs) (laughs) And if I, all of a sudden I got really hot in my body, like, oh, definitely not getting this job. (laughs) And so I said to him, I go, oh, sorry, nice to meet you. And he's like, where are you from? And I said, well, I was born in Brooklyn. My family's from Trinidad, Barbados. I'm an island girl, and I live in South Central L.A., probably like five minutes away from where we are now. And he said, all right. And he kind of looked at me up and down, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy is so in my personal space. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) So I waited out for a while, and they called in a couple other actors, and then he called me into the room. And the first thing he said to me was, so tell me about yourself. And I started to tell him my journey as, you know, a young girl to that present moment and how, you know, my parents were divorced by the time I was two. My mother was an artist. We lived in Iowa. Um, And that my mom was basically a single, not basically, she was a single mom raising me in South Central L.A. And... During the conversation, I got really emotional about the relationship with myself and my father mm-hmm. and how he really wasn't there and how I I was a latchkey kid and how, you know, my mother had all this education. But when we got to California, the only job that she could get was for was driving the RTD bus. And so. There was a a bus depot, like, literally around the corner from where we were living in South Central L.A. And they were like, you're a black woman. You're too beautiful. We're not going to have you driving the bus late at night in this area. It's dangerous. And my mom is like, listen, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm tough. I can handle this. And they ended up shipping her to Pasadena. So that made her travel to work much longer and meant that I was home alone a lot. Okay. And I started telling John the whole story about my life and my my dad and, and everything that we had been through as a family. And I started to cry in the audition and I was like, oh, shit, I'm definitely not getting this job. <laughs> and then we – I think I auditioned the scene with me and Trey, me and Cuba Gooding on the porch – Okay. Um, which was sort of the iconic scene where he wanted sex from me and you know, I'm like, no, you're not, I'm I'm a Christian girl. Like I'm not doing that with you. Right. And then I was shocked to find out that I had gotten the job. So when I heard the news that John was in the hospital and he was not well, all of that flashed before me. It was like the whole first quarter of my life flashed before my eyes in three seconds. And I could not stop crying because even though I knew we were doing something special when we were making the film, in some sort of way, John's passing I had to say a a goodbye to a part of my youth. I had to say Mm. goodbye. You know, I had to say 
these great, amazing moments happened with him. These life-changing moments happened with him. He was the first person to see the stars in my eyes, to see the talent, to see the pain, to see the raw talent, because I was really just young and just starting, you know? Mm. And not saying goodbye in a bad way, but kind of saying like, okay, Nia, we're all getting older. Life is changing. You're losing friends. You're a mom now. And it just was like the first quarter of my life. It was like, okay, that's the John Singleton chapter of my book. Mm. And that lasted for, you know, a long time. I've had a beautiful career and I still have so many things that I want to do. And so then I went into, okay, what can I do? I called every single hospital because Malcolm hadn't gotten back with me yet. And I know John, like he wouldn't be under an alias. Like he would just check himself into a hospital and say, I I don't feel well. But then I thought maybe his family put him under an alias. I didn't know how serious it was. I didn't know what really had happened. And I couldn't find him. And then I called Cedars. And a guy answered the phone, and I was I was still crying. Like, they probably thought I was a crazy person because I was literally, like, shaking <laughs> in my voice. And I said, I'm looking for John Singleton. This is Nia Long calling. Is he there? And the operator said, hold on, ma'am. And he transferred me to another location. And the nurse got on the phone and said, hi, how, how may I help you? And mind you, this is like 6 o'clock in the morning. And I said, hi, I, I'm. this is John Singleton's sister, Nia Long, and I'm looking for him. Is he there? And she put me on hold for a really long time. And she came back and she said, I'm so sorry. We don't have anyone by the name of John Singleton. And I said, yes, you do. I got in my car. And I just drove to the hospital. And I first went to the emergency room because I thought if she said he's not there, maybe he's in the ER. Because, you know, it takes a while for people to get transferred to a room. I didn't know what was going on. So I ran into the ER. I go to the first black person I saw because I knew that hopefully they would recognize me or they would know who John was. And it was this big cop. And I just literally ran into his arms and he said, oh, my God, are you okay?" And I said, I'm looking for John Singleton. And then everyone in the ER kind of went crazy. And they're like, he's not here. Go check across the street. So I ran across the street and there was a young woman sitting at the desk, and she goes, I know who, what you're here for. She goes, come with me. And she walked me right up to, into his room. Mm. Now, and, and on the way, she was like, I'm such a huge fan of your work. Like, oh, my God, you've, you've, you really have defined my childhood, and you're such an icon. And I'm thinking to myself, thank you. And in that moment, none of that mattered because I was just a person in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I, so right before I left for the hospital, I forgot to tell you this part, right before I left for the, hosp- for the hospital, I was in my bed and I was kind of meditating and John came to me and he said, Nini, I'm okay. Everything is good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And he kind of did like his little signature laugh. Snicker. You didn't know he was sick. 
No, I knew he was sick. This is after Malcolm called me and okay. said John is in the hospital. But this was in between the time I had received the information that he was definitely in the hospital and before I left my house to go to the hospital. And and I was, again, bawling the whole time. So I didn't know what I'm okay meant. And I kept the, the entire drive to the hospital, I'm thinking, is he telling me he's okay because he's passed away? Is he telling me that he's okay because he's at the hospital and he's just with the doctors? Is he telling me, what is he telling me? What does this mean? So it may, you know when you arrive someplace and you don't even remember how you got there? Mm-hmm. It was, that's sort of what my drive was like on my way to the hospital. And when I walked in the room, he was very peaceful. He was sedated. Was he awake? No. He was not awake. But he was breathing on his own. And I I couldn't get my body inside of the door. I just kind of stood at the door for a minute. And there was another woman there who I didn't know, and she stayed for a little while. And then I was like, where is everyone? Where's fam? Like, I just was so confused because I didn't know. Mind you, I had no idea what had happened. I didn't know what was wrong. I had no idea what medical condition he was in. So I immediately asked for the nurse and I said, hi, I'm John Singleton's sister and my name's Nia Long and I would really love to know what is going on here. And so the doctors came and they kind of told me what was happening. And in that moment, I knew that it wasn't good, but all I kept doing was praying for a miracle. Mm. And I stayed for like probably 10 hours Um, And I called my good friend, Paul Hall, and I said, you've got to get over here. And a couple of other actors came through. Michael Rappaport came through. We sat in the lobby. We had coffee because at that time the family had asked for privacy and that that no one be in the room. And, I mean, people were calling, and I spoke to Regina King probably a bunch of times that day and she felt horrible because she was away shooting and and before I left John's room I just walked over to him and I I put my hand on his shoulder and I said hey John it's Nia it's Nini and the doctors kept saying when you're close to him speak loud so that he can come out of the anesthesia And I was like, it's Nini, it's Nini, it's Nini. And then I looked at his eyes and his eyes fluttered. Wow. So I knew that he knew in that moment that I was there. And uh, in that moment, I felt a little bit of peace because I was like, okay, he heard me. So this is what he means when he says, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then I proceeded to just go down to the lobby, give the family privacy, and pray that God would bring him through this in a big way so that he could continue his journey as an amazing filmmaker, a visionary, 
a genius, a mad scientist, an actor's actor, a technical genius, and the first director that, and the only director, no disrespect to anyone else, but for first-time director, John Singleton always knew what he wanted, and he was not afraid to ask for it. And as an actor, that's what you want. You want someone who is... You want someone who is sure because that's the safety net that actors need from their directors. And he was very specific and he was fiery and funny. And, you know, we were kids making this movie that was going to change the the history of black filmmaking. Yep. He created stars, Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, uh, Angela Bassett, Regina King, um, Morris Chestnut. I mean, when you look at that cast of people, it, it was kind of unbelievable, right? You you couldn't afford to put that cast together now. You couldn't. No. And we, I just remember this, the, it was, the, the shoot was ran so smoothly and we had a dollar and 55 cents to make the movie. <laughs> the studio said to John Singleton, hey, we love your script, but we want another director to direct your movie. And he's like, no, I wrote it. I'm directing it. I'm not going to sell you my script. And they took a chance and they gave us a little bit of money. And, you know, he delivered. He delivered perfection. And so this for me is – I just – this is a big one for me. This is a very big, difficult moment to digest, to understand. You know, I'm still sort of like some days I wake up and, oh, my mom for Mother's Day, I had someone sent me a, a photo of John and I and my mom blew it up. And framed it for Mother's Day. And when I opened it, i that's what started the crying the whole day. And I'm glad that she did it, but it was like, whoa. And so it's still sitting on my dining room table and I have to find the perfect spot for it because it's pretty big, but it's it's so important. Take us into making Boys in the Hood and the directing style and what he would say to you between takes and stuff like that. Well, he never called me Nia. He always called me Nini from day one. I was like, how do you know that that's what everybody in my family calls me? The only difference was is he changed the spelling because I spell it N-I-N-I. He's like, it's not N-I-N-I. It's N-E-N-E. So we would always debate about that, right? And I remember being confident in knowing that this is going to be an easy story to tell because this is basically my life. I went to Catholic school. I was raised by a single mom. I lived in the hood. I understood what the street races were. I understood Crenshaw and Slauson. I understood hearing gunshots, sitting in my bedroom, doing my homework. I knew all of that like the back of my hand. So I didn't have to do much except be honest in my performance. And... John was just always prepared. He's he would come, he would say this is where I want the camera, this these are my shots. He always had a shot list. 
He had an amazing support team, Stephanie Elaine. I mean, it, it was just, it ran so smoothly that I got to tell you, like, I I was spoiled. And then the directors that came after him, F. Gary Gray, he was the same way. Malcolm Lee, he was the same way. These are our great directors of, of, of this time. And, but there was something about John that there was no separation between him and his actors. There was no ego tripping. There was no power trip. There was no, you need to do what I say. He was, he was authoritative, but he wasn't, he was demanding. He, he required a lot, but he was also very loving and caring and kind. So being vulnerable was not something that I shied away from because I knew I could trust him. And I never felt like I was being judged. You know, so I've worked with directors where you do a take and, and they're looking at their monitor and they they go, okay, let's just do that again. And you're like, what the fuck? Did I, do I need to change anything? Do, what, did you like it? What, you know, there's just no feedback. And then you realize that the camera made a mistake. John would come over and say, that was perfect. Do it again camera just made a slight technical error. So you knew that what was going on. And and so I was, I started in an environment where communication was the key to great filmmaking and that actors were respected as artists with opinions and a, and a point of view, not just talking heads. So, you know, I really thank him for that because it's, it's allowed me to ask for what I need on set and to, and when I'm not getting what I need, to take care of myself. We'll get back to Neil Long in one second, but I want to give a shout out to longtime supporter of the show, Policy Genius who makes it easy to get life insurance online. And yeah, maybe life insurance sounds boring, but you know what's not boring? Being able to sleep at night. Because if you don't have life insurance, you should be up at night wondering what will happen to your family. God forbid something happens to you. That's not my way. I like to sleep at night. That's why I have life insurance. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles the paperwork and the red tape and makes sure you get the lowest price. No commissions, no hidden fees, just financial protection and peace of mind, no strings attached, and you get to sleep at night. And they don't just simplify life insurance. They also make it easy to compare and buy home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance, any kind of coverage you need. Policy Genius has got you. So next time you stop to smell the roses or try to lay your head on the pillow, pull out your phone and head to policygenius.com because spring is here, you want to sleep, you need to look good. So kick it off by nipping life insurance in the bud. Handle that so you can sleep at night. How did he know first time out how to be this perfect director that you're describing? He was gifted. I mean, he was, he was gifted. And I think some people come and arrive here to change the world, 
to show us something we haven't seen. And he was, he was fearless about it. He didn't, there was unapologetically fearless and specific. It was just in his body, you know? Like, no one ever taught me how to be a mom. I didn't read, I mean, I read those silly books, but, <laughs> you know, put the peas on your boobs when they're, you know, about to explode when you're nursing. Yeah, okay, I'll buy some frozen bees. You know, don't <laughs> put too many blankets around the baby. Well, okay, that's sort of common sense. But motherhood is in me. Mm. You know, it's not, I know how to do it. And when I don't know how to do it, I just get quiet and trust what God tells me, and I follow his lead. So John Singleton was that for us in terms of filmmaking. Well, so let's go back to how you learned how to act. Mm-hmm. Was that, did that come to you naturally as well, or did you have to work for that? So I studied for years. Um, Regina King and I were in the same high school, and we became friends. And she's like, I had taken a couple acting classes before, and she's like, hey, you should come with me to my acting class. I work with Betty Bridges. And I was like, oh, okay, who's Betty Bridges? And Betty Bridges is Todd Bridges' mom, and she has taught so oh, many actors. Uh, yeah, she's an amazing uh, woman. Strokes. She's What'd you say? I was just saying, Todd, the older brother on different strokes. Yes, exactly. Um, and she taught me improv. She taught me how to prepare for an audition. She taught me how to dig deep and find my emotions. She taught me how to break a script down. And I really have Regina to thank for that because it wasn't until I started working with Betty and watching Regina as a young actress that I thought to myself, wow, this is really what I want to do. This is home for me. And, you know, I didn't have like the perfect – I didn't grow up in the perfect situation where there was a mom and a dad and there was a plan for college and there was a, you know, a a, a – there was no roadmap. This was survival. This was, I've got great educated parents, but you got to figure it out. And so with acting, I felt an instant connection between my own personal challenges and pain and putting it into my work in a positive way. So it was very therapeutic for me. And I think, you know, the greatest actors are the most honest actors. And to be an honest actor, I think you have to understand what pain feels like, what disappointment feels like, what happiness feels like. You really sort of have to have a decent perspective on life. Um. And so I really pride myself on doing honest work. And the only time where I felt like this is not for me is when I did a season on NCIS LA. It was just not, there was no room for me to be honest because I didn't care about anything that I was saying or doing. And it was awful. It was god awful. I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I don't care. Um... 
And that's when I said to myself, okay, Nia, what do, what is it that you really want to do? Well, I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories about black women and the things that we go through in a real way. Not in a comedic way, in a real way. So I've sort of started to acquire things that stories that I like and developing them and, and working with writers and just pushing beyond and and honestly like John's passing passing away has given me the confidence to do something that I haven't done yet. Because gone are the days where actors can afford to just be an actor for hire. We have too much room right now to create and to go beyond anything that we've done to be great. And although I'm thankful for those opportunities to be on a series where, you know, you get paid a shitload of money and you come and you say what's on the page and you're not supposed to really just just get it done, get the words out, do it, say it, it's pure memory. That's not who I am as an artist. Mm -hmm. I need something to attach to within the material that represents some sort of emotion. I'm not a surface person and I can't play surface characters. Well, well just taking back for a second, what does it mean to be an honest actor? <sighs> well, It means that the words are just a connection to what you want your audience to feel. So the words are there there to tell the story. But if you say the words without honest emotion or honest backstory, they're just words. And you can watch performances that don't feel authentic. I've seen them. We've all seen them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't see them, then it's just pure entertainment, and that's okay, too. Not everything has to be deep and meaningful and right. painful and funny and dark and light. Some some stuff is just – it's like watching a commercial. There's absolutely – when I watch a commercial, they're just selling me something. I'm not looking at the person who's selling me something going, oh, my God, she's so good in this commercial. <laughs> they're just delivering a message, right? Some commercials are great, but okay. I mean, okay, Super Bowl commercials maybe, but I've sort of banned those, so I don't watch those anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are some commercials that are great, but I think I'm talking about the commercials that we grew up watching. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it, they're they're very straight to the point, and there's some material that's straight to the point. And there are some characters that are straight to the point. I think what I'm saying is those characters are very – those characters should be the easiest ones to play because you don't really have to invest anything. You just need to go to your mark, look good if that's what it requires, say your lines and go home. That's the most disappointing, <laughs> heart-wrenching, <laughs> non-experience for me. When I do what I do, it's an experience. I take it very seriously. You're trying to get to the real feelings of the character. 
not a surface level caricature, but the true depth of the character. Yes, the thoughts, the emotions, um, body language, hair, makeup, wardrobe, the design of the, you know, what you see and then what you feel. Because I, I think what you see is is when people are watching, when you're watching an actor on camera, the first thing you see is how do they look, what are they wearing, what's the world that they're living in. And then once they start speaking, you get to know a little bit more about who this person is. So, yes, it's discovering who the person is discovering who the character is underneath the visuals. My sense watching you is that you're not acting. I don't get a sense that you're, you know, doing the thing I get. It's a very natural way about you and it feels real. As mm-hmm. opposed to she's inhabiting something. Um, is that accurate? Is that what you're going for as a, performer yeah i mean otherwise i'd suck maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i think the whole to be a good actor is don't act good actors don't act they just are when you look at meryl streep you don't ever see her acting ever her performances are (laughs) seamless i've watched every single one of them Mm-hmm. When I, I just worked with Sam Jackson and working with him, I was like, this guy is genius. He just. He's just in it. Whatever the moment is, he's just in it. And then and then a lot of people, you know, you you really like their personalities and you can see their personalities coming through into the characters, but that's what makes them great. There will never be another Sam Jackson, let's face it. He is the he broke the mold. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as direct, varied, distinct, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. That notion you talk about, about the actor's personality comes through the screen and you like that personality, so you like them. That's what I feel from you. And I don't feel a gigantic difference between the different roles that I've seen you in. You know, is, like is that good? Meryl, I think it I, I think it is. I think it is. I mean, certain actors are, you know, totally different each time. You right. are just this cool person who I want, you know, whether it's, you know, soul food or dear white people or Friday or Empire. It's like I, I feel like I know her and I like her and I want to mm-hmm. hang out with her. Mm hmm. Well, I think part of that is opportunity. And I don't think that I've had the opportunity to play some of the roles that a Meryl Streep has played because black women don't always get the opportunity to show all sides of who we are. We're oftentimes the facilitators of the story or the support or the mother or damaged goods or the beautiful, sexy girl that the guy wants. You know, there are so many more stories to tell. So, you know, like my dream role was Roxanne, Roxanne. I got to do something I had never done before. And what did you what was the new thing you got to do? In Roxanne, Roxanne? Yeah. Did you see the movie? Yeah, of course. So what do you mean? What was the new... So, so you're saying from a from my approach kind of thing? Yeah. Well, it was just a very different character for me to play. She was, you know, a, a mother at, living in the projects. She was an alcoholic. She was broken. She was hard. She was mean, but she loved her children so much that she thought if I can be 
if I can have high expectations of my girls and tolerate and have a zero tolerance policy, then my children will survive. Mm-hmm. I think in the past my characters have been a little lighter, and there was nothing light about Miss Peggy. So mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> um, so that was like, whoa, this is cool. I get to, to be a different woman. But a woman that I also know very well, a woman that when I lived on Park Place between Kingston and Albany, I would see that woman near the projects yelling at her kids out the window. You know, I knew that woman. Everybody knows a Miss Peggy. No doubt. So you've you so take me to this moment. You've mm-hmm. gotten the job. They give you the script. You got to break it down and figure out who this character is and how you're going to play it. What do you do for Miss Peggy? For, or for, for Boys job. in the Hood. Oh, for any job. Um, yeah. The first thing I do is I think about, okay, um, I start sort of going through magazines, looking at hair and makeup and wardrobe and... Sorry. I just had a kombucha. I'm glad we're not live. (laughs) I had to hit the mute button. Um, I start sort of designing the character from the outside in. So once I've established the look, then hair, makeup, and wardrobe, they go off and they sort of deliver the package that we've all agreed on. Sometimes it goes well. Sometimes it doesn't go so well. Um, (laughs) Which is a whole other story. Uh, and then I I go line by line and I break down what I mean when I say each line. And I actually write notes next to each line. Or I have like a – I have a – like if I have a moment, you know, with – like for instance in The Best Man, my – underlying energy for that character whenever I did a scene with Tay Diggs was, I want to have sex with you. So no matter what I said to him, even if it was a fight, my subconscious thought was, I want to have sex with you. So that instantly made Jordan vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, no matter what I'm saying to you right now, I want you. I could say, oh, my God, I'm so happy for you and your wife. I'm so happy you're having a baby, but I want you. <laughs> so it sort of gives the character this dynamic subconscious and conscious energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's probably what I do. And then the first day on set, I'm always a little nervous no matter what it is. Um I'm terrible with names, so I always feel bad when I've gotten to, like, week three and I can't remember, like, the craft service person's name. It's awful. Like, I really beat myself up about it, especially when there's, like, a whole crew list. But for some reason, it's never where I need it to be. And so I'm – that's one of my New Year's resolutions is to be better with names. It's hard. It's so hard. You talked about interacting – with the script, but when does the, when do you build the backstory? 
Um, usually, like, hopefully there's, you know, we get an opportunity to rehearse because I think that's where a lot of the backstory comes from. And then I can really understand what the director has in mind and what his vision is. And so when we're going through rehearsals, it's like you really get to break down what that moment means in the big, in the whole story, you know, because... The moment for me could mean something very specific, but I also might, the director may also need me to make that moment mean something else for the sake of the story. So um, I really love rehearsing. And unfortunately, it seems like budgets are smaller and smaller and we don't have the time to rehearse. And I don't quite understand it because budgets are smaller but I've worked with two dollars and fifty nine cents, so or did mm-hmm. I say a dollar and fifty nine cents? So, and we had rehearsal time, so I don't always understand why that's being eliminated um, in the process. And then in television, you don't really get that. You do a table read, which I hate table reads. It's like the wow. one thing that really. Why do I hate them? Yeah. Well, for one thing, it took me a really long time to admit that I needed to start wearing glasses. (laughs) So I would be sitting there (laughs) squinting. And then, I don't know, it's just, I don't know. I I, I like to be, I like for my body to be a part of the process. And when you're doing a table read, you're just Mm -hmm. sitting there saying the words. Mm Um. And then, you know, you go to set and you rehearse one time with the director. You rehearse one time with camera and the crew. And then you shoot it and you might get two or three takes and then you're on to the next thing. And you know that it's so final and you just hope to God that in the edit room they pick the one that you mm-hmm. liked the most. Whereas John, you know, when we'd be working, he'd go, take two was the best, circle take two. So you knew, like, what he liked. And if it was what you liked, you felt really good by the end of the day. Like, oh, my God, he liked what I liked. And so that helps you to get prepared for the next day because you know you're on the right track. Mm -hmm. It's like instant, instant, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Instant confirmation. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's like instant confirmation and support. How do you prepare prepare for a big scene? Probably by not preparing. If I know what I'm supposed to think, feel, and be, and I know my lines, I don't overthink it. For me, studying is knowing the feeling of the moment, not the words. Because if I'm in the right space in terms of how I'm supposed to feel, then the words will come naturally. When you're in, so that's the difference with like a surface character. You don't really have to feel. I mean, listen, there are some character actors that I look at that are genius, and I'm like, oh my God, she's so good. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time figuring that out for myself if there's nothing if there's no emotion or no real deep purpose Mm -hmm. and it can be comedy it doesn't have to be all serious you know so you've had a super long career in hollywood 
And I'm mm-hmm. curious about how one navigates Hollywood and career to be able to flow over a long period of time and work with lots of different people and like keep it going. Because for a lot of people, you know, they have yeah. a nice period, nice 10 years, five years, whatever it is, and then it fizzles out and you've been around so long. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have a choice. <laughs> I've got college tuition to pay for. Um, I I really trust God in the universe. And I know that, that to some people that may sound really hokey, but to the believers, no, they out there, they know what I'm talking about. Um. I've also learned something about myself recently, which is I can kind of speak things into existence in my life. Okay. And I've done it over and over again. And when I connect what I'm thinking to what I'm feeling, it's like manifestation. Almost instantly. To the point where it scares me sometimes. So like... I finished a project in January, and most of uh, last year I was working. And in January I said, okay, God, thank you. I I really appreciate the back-to-back projects. I really appreciate what's been happening. This has been beautiful, but I need a break. I I have nothing else to give. And I need this time to get my son in college. I need this time to make sure he's studying for his SATs. I need this time to make sure that my seven-year-old is reading at the level that I'm comfortable with. I need this time for self-care and to refill my cup for the next opportunity that you have coming for me. And... I took off January, February, March, and in March I was kind of like, okay, like I kind of want to go back to work, but I kind of want to not work and develop these two things that I'm very passionate about. So I don't know. What do you think? And the next week I received an offer, and at first I said yes, and then I took the weekend to think about it, and then on Monday I said no. And I said no because I had a real honest conversation with myself. And that conversation was, okay, are you going to continue to do the same thing or are you going to bet on yourself? Because I know that my fans, like I have the most loyal and amazing fans, like the love that they give me on social media, the DMs that I get, the, you know, walking through the airport. And they're all ages, all ethnicities, all types of people, and not just in America. When I travel Europe, I get the same thing. So what is it about me, Nia, at this point in my life that I'm not able to bet on myself? So if I have to go lean and mean to bet on myself, then that's what I'm going to do. And so I passed on the job 
But I also felt in that moment that God was saying, okay, I know what you asked me for, but have you connected what you asked me for to what's really in your heart? And in that moment, I had to go with my heart. Because I think sometimes as women, we get so busy in the doing, getting things done, making sure things are happening in the way that they need to, that we forget that it all starts with our creative visualization, which usually comes right from the heart. And I chose to honor that, which meant not taking a job that would have been a relatively easy job and a good paycheck, but I was just like, no, give yourself some time. And in that, in the couple of months, I've gotten my son sorted in college. I just literally, before I came to meet with you, I was signing up for his dorm and looking at classes. I'm sure he's supposed to be doing that part himself, but I just need to know what's going on because he's a terrible communicator, like most men. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I – and I'm really proud of myself. You know, I'm really proud that I was able to get my firstborn to where he is. I'm really thankful that he's safe. And that's something that I think black mothers think about every single day their child walks out the door. Every time my son walks out the door, I am I scream, I love you, even if I've just cussed him out or I've just <laughs> told him, like, clean up your fucking room. I still am like, mommy loves you, <laughs> you know, and I, you know, and I, I just say, God, please just protect him. And if something happens, put on his heart what he needs to do to get him to safety. There's too much going on in the world right now. Yeah. So um, so now here I am. Now I'm working with an amazing writer, um, Ben Corey Jones, and we are developing something, and I'm super excited about it. And I am betting on myself. Let's see how this goes. I'm feeling pretty lucky, though, got to say. What is your advice for younger actresses? <sighs> you know, <laughs> I get I, I people ask me that question all the time and I I never I never really have a good honest answer because I always feel like anything that I say will feel very harsh, you know? But I think the big – because here's the thing. This is the most difficult business anyone could ever commit their life to. This is not a game. This is not cute. This is not easy. This is not – there's no security in being an actor. Mm. There's no security in this. So the first thing I say is save your money because mm -hmm. – you could be making $2 million one, one day and a dollar and 59 cent off of residuals the next, the next day. You just do not know. And so, you know, I, the, the minute my first son was born, I started saving for his college because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to be by the time he's ready for school. Right. You know, I've made good investments. I bought a house that was nice, but not too nice. I live a little below my means, but I have a great life. I have a nice, comfortable life. I have everything that I want, but that is because I saved 
I try to pace myself. I try not to owe anyone money ever. Um, and every year I put money away in a big way that is for my future. So that's the first thing. That's the business side of it, like just taking care of yourself because the business does not take care of you in that way. They're like, look, we've paid you. You're on TV. You're on a big screen. What else do you want from us? Thank you very much. There's your check. You know, um, and you, of course, you get a pension, but it's nothing in comparison to what you've earned over the course of one's career if you're if you're so lucky. Um the second thing I would say is find your find your authentic self and work from that place. So, you know, when you look at the little starlets that are arriving in the world, they're all very different. They all have something to say. They're not trying to be, you know, a version of me or a version of someone else. They're coming in with their own voice and their own agenda. So find that truth and work from there. And don't be afraid to say no. I've said no to a lot of things, and I don't think I've ever had one regret. What is it in you that has led to your success? I just can't accept failure. That That's just not an option for me because I know what it's like to have nothing. Don't get me wrong, my mother provided for me in the best way that she could, and I was loved and hugged and kissed and, you know, took family vacations, but it was Slim Jim around our house, you know? And <laughs> it was not, there was, there were not a lot of extras. There was, you know, like I'm throwing my son a graduation brunch. There was no graduation brunch. I think I like had my pajamas on under my cap and gown. You know what I mean? And and I drove <laughs> myself there and my mom was there and we went home and we were like, okay, that's done. What's, what's happening next? You know? So I... I never wanted to necessarily be famous. Respect is more important to me than fame. Mm -hmm. So I'm a perfectionist and I've learned that there's nothing good about being perfect. And so I've learned to not be so hard on myself in that area. Um, there's beauty in imperfections, you know. There's you can find something amazing in a situation that's not perfect. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive. 
T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And I've also learned how to, to let go of people and relationships that don't service the next part of my life. And, and that nothing is ever going to be the same all the time. And there's no such thing as forever. The only thing that's forever is God and you. And your forever ends when God is ready for you to go. But like that's, you know, you can't, these fairy tales and moonbeams and emojis, that shit is bullshit. (laughs) Who are the actors? You already talked about (laughs) Sam Jackson and Meryl Streep. But who are some of the actors who you have really learned from and look up to, looked up to? I am so proud of Regina King. I am like, (sighs) the thing is, is when you know someone like as a schoolgirl and you know just her journey from the inside scoop and then the outside scoop and how she pulled it all together and is carrying the torch, I, I just... I'm really proud of her. And she's another one. Seamless, flawless, in the moment, honest, changing the game, smart, intelligent, beautiful. It's just been beautiful to watch her come into her womanhood. Mm. She's a mom. It's a beautiful thing to watch. So I really admire her and I'm really proud of her. I love um, I love Sandra Bullock. Like, that's my homie. She's the one of the most kind people in this business. Um, just, just, just freaking amazing. Just a good egg all the way around. Like, she's funny. She's smart. She's caring. She's sharing. She's a mom. She's... Rich. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> her house is fucking crazy. I was like, I'll sleep in the. I'll, I could. I don't mind sleeping in the uh, the guest room. Um, she's just such a good person, and I don't talk to her often. But every now and then, I send a text, and I'm like, Hey, girl, what's up? Um, I really loved working with her. I love. Who else have I? I mean, there. I'm the thing is, is I haven't really had a chance to work with a lot of black female actors because I'm usually working opposite men. I just worked mm-hmm. with Anthony Mackie. I fucking love him. He's the first. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you guys a secret. He's the first person who got me to leave set and go to a bar and have a drink at lunch. <laughs> I never, I would never drink on the job. But we were shooting in Atlanta. He said, come on, Nia, come come go walk across the street with me. And the next thing I knew, we were smoking cigars and drinking. I was like, what life is this? This is amazing. And the scene actually. Cigars. 
What was in the cigar? Oh, no, it was just a cigar. I wouldn't have been able to. There's If I, listen, you do not want me to smoke a joint. I am so goofy and obnoxious. It's, it's actually a fun version of myself, but I don't, I would never do that in work. I don't think I'd be able to get a line out if I, if, if I was partaking in marijuana festivities. (laughs) I will tell you, I, Edibles have become like my new thing. Okay. I really like cookies, them. Brownies. I've, huh? Cookies, brownies. What, what do you prefer? No, I like the chewies because I I feel less guilty. Like there's less calories, so <laughs> a nice gummy bear. <laughs> and this is really my best friend's fault because over the Christmas holiday. I went to New York at the last minute. My father hasn't been doing well, and I wanted my boys to see him. And so Aber and I, um, who is just, God, I don't know what I would do without her. We, you know, between us, we have five kids. So oftentimes it's me and her and our five children. And I'm sure people think that, like, we're lovers or something because we're, like, walking hand in hand. We're, like, snuggled up walking down the street. And then either in front of us or behind us, you see, like, our army of of kids. And they love each other so much. Like, they have their own relationships and they really depend on one another. So we were both really stressed out just with life changes and life and work and just all the things. And she's like, Nia. I have white chocolate edibles. <laughs> I was like, open it up right now. So we literally spent like the entire week high off of edibles. We were such great moms. We were like the best moms. We're good moms, but we were so tolerant and patient and so kind patient. and loving. So yes, ready. baby. Follow anything. Where anything, everything is okay. Everything was at, them at all. At all. I mean, we were we had plans to walk across the Brooklyn Bridge for New Year's Eve. And the only reason why we didn't go is because it started raining and I was like, "Listen, I just got my hair done. I'm not doing that." And so, but it, but we were adventurous and we were free. And I was just like, you know what? This is okay. This is why marijuana is legal in most <laughs> states in our country. In the, in the good states. <laughs> in the good states. In the, I shouldn't say important states, but yes, in the good states. In the states where we are very re- realistic about the stress levels that our country is dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. The in, the insanity that we're in right now, yes, edibles should definitely be okay. So I, you know, I'm and I am like, listen, this is what I do. If I need a, if I need to like organize a closet, clean out a pantry, <laughs> spring cleaning, I do one low cal edible in the morning. I am like, who? Where did Mary Pop- when did Mary Poppins get in here and clean everything up with labels and code? They're like things are coded and color coordinated. It's fantastic. So that's one thing that I've I've welcomed into my life um, when I'm not working because it's definitely like my own personal thing that I like to do. 
it definitely makes cleaning much easier and more fun. And yes. Like, wow, like scrubbing this pot is really cool. Yes. <laughs> Even brushing your teeth is like you get a different sensation when you brush your teeth. It's weird. I don't know. Maybe that's, I don't know. It's like everything is super sensitive. I love it. Yeah. No, it's the best. <laughs> so good. It's the best. It's the best. I'm sure I'm telling too much information, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> you you get to a certain point where you're like, I don't really give a fuck. This is honest. Let's be honest. What's your superpower? Ooh, my superpower is... I'm a planner and a manifester. Mm. I can visualize something... I know how to get from A to Z, and when I arrive, it's usually exactly like I visualized it from day one. So it's kind of like, I, I guess I'm a magician. <laughs> I, I'm, I practice magic, <laughs> and I make it look easy, too. Like, I don't arrive, like, stressed out and, oh, my God, I can't believe, oh, do you understand how hard? Nope. Hair done, nails done, everything did. I'm good. You are a magician. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to be some kind of magician to, I mean, like, you know, just just to make it in the hardest business. Long, long time. You are some kind of magician. Yeah. I was listening the other day to this song by her and one of the things she said in the song is don't confuse and you'll probably know these lyrics better than I will but don't confuse self-consciousness don't confuse self-consciousness for self-confidence mm. mm-hmm. and I was like whoa so I remember just being really young and being, you know, famous and everyone wanting to know me. And I was like, why? What? What is wrong? with? Like, why do they care? Like, what? Huh? And then my name was would appear in rap songs. And I just was never I didn't really understand what was happening, to be quite honest, because I was so focused on doing the work and. Because we didn't have social media at that time, you sort of had to look for that information. Now it's just right. as soon as you turn your phone on, it's there. And so I rem I would get phone calls from my girlfriends like, girl, do you understand? Like you're in the newest, hottest rap song with Nas. And I'm like, what? Huh? Okay. I think Nas is really freaking cute. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is he single? <laughs> What's really good? What is it like? What is it like when you are mentioned prominently like that in a rap song? I kind of, honestly, I, I look at myself in the mirror, usually half naked, and I do a little dance, and I kind of dance to the song, and I kind of say the lyrics, and then my older son walks in and is like, Mom, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> And so I mean, whenever that's... whenever I start to feel like, oh, my God, I'm going to be 49 this year. I have one more year before 50. I say to myself, just turn on all those hot records. You're still that girl they're talking about. <laughs> it's become like my positive reinforcement. 
<laughs> I mean, that's the double consciousness right there that you know you're that girl. People are still making songs about you. They're still loving you. Oh my God, she's so beautiful. And then your son walks in and he's like, that's mom. Like, what are you talking yes, about? Exactly. And I kind of go to him. I'm like, does this look right? Is this still cool? Like, what am I, what I have on? Is this still good? He's like, yeah, it's good. Let's just go. You know, like he keeps my sneaker game tight. You know, he's very, I'm going to miss him so much. And I think, you know, for me on Sunday, um, on Mother's Day, I was just so emotional because I thought, oh my God, my homie, my road dog, my like Aaron guy, my guy that I'm like, Masai, can you go pick me up a coffee? Can you stop at the <laughs> post office and mail this? My like personal assistant, my like my my dude, my firstborn, the the kid that I have. Do you remember that big blackout in New York City? Like it must have been 16 years ago. Oh, you're talking about after 9-11. Yes. Yes, that was like... And people were like, it was the biggest blackout. It was like the new, it was called, I think, the New York blackout. Yeah. Maasai was, I don't remember exactly what year that was, but I want to say that he was maybe three or four. So maybe not 16 years ago, but maybe more like 12 years ago. You have to look that up so we can sound smart in the interview. But <laughs> I had to walk him down 22 flights of steps. And the whole entire time we were singing because we were in a hotel. I was staying in a hotel. I was doing third watch. And they had put me in a hotel until I found an apartment. And there was no electricity. So everyone had to use the stair. And I was the stairs. And I was like up like really like on the 22nd floor. And I will never forget that because he and I just sang and laughed and talked. And I was like, this is my homie right here. So when I think about the fact that he's going on to start his life and to do the things that, you know, he's been working so hard for, it's bittersweet. And so I've had a lot of endings. You know, John was my beginning and now he's gone. My son is, you know, he's great and he's here and he will forever be in my mind even when he's away at school like I I will always feel close to him even when he's physically not home but like it's an end to his his homestay but a beginning to his life so there's a lot of like beauty and endings going on right now which are great for me because I think for there was like a couple years where I just couldn't cry and it was weird because I'm a crier and I was like why can I not cry and what I realized is that I was really just doing so much that I was not I was just disconnected from my heart and I'm really happy because I I feel reconnected and I feel really strong and I feel really happy about the things that are getting ready to happen that will magically appear that was amazing you're so sweet and honest and open and giving and that was amazing you are so welcome i try to be that's why i kind of mind my own business because when i do start talking i tell everything (laughs) (laughs) i can't even help it i'm like i have to tell the true story because i'm not you know my short-term memory is sort of shot because of you know from learning lines my entire life so right um so yeah but this was this was fantastic i'm glad that i got to do this with you 
um, you know, I trust you and I know that you understand the journey because you've sort of been right there with me in many ways, you know? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Um, so it's a culture. Hmm. That's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. All right, darling, have a great day. I'm going to go have an edible and clean out a closet. (laughs) Before my kids come home from school. Thanks to Neil Long for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Instagram at Torre Show and on Twitter at Torre. Please write a review of the show. I'd really appreciate it. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Brandon Tago, and our photographer is Chuck Marcus. We're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>